Our summer text this morning is Leviticus 14, verses 8 through 20. He is to be cleansed, shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in the water, that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp, and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all, <coughs> shave all the hair off his head, and his beard, and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one eel lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean in those things before the Lord, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. The priest shall, shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his fingers seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him, who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do praise you for giving us your word. We do praise you for giving us your spirit. I ask that you be with Mr. Horn this morning to preach your word faithfully and, with, and to guard him from all error. We do pray that you convict us of our sins and let us see the glory that is in Christ and in the, the work of his atonement. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. as we continue in Leviticus 14 about the healing of the leper and then about making him clean. I think there's a few things to, to remember as we go into this passage. And the first is they have to do most of the offerings. We spent a long time talking about these offerings, but it has been months since we talked about them. But they were described in the first part of Leviticus. 
So we should remember what the offerings are a picture of because each of those offerings, they're, they're to teach us something about what God has done, something about how his means to reconcile us to him. In a lot of ways, the healing of the leper is, is kind of the fullness of the picture, how all these things work together. So the first offering that was described was the burnt offering, this picture of substitutionary atonement and this picture of Christ being sacrificed for God so loved the whole for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son and there's this picture that that he went to hell that he he break, broke the gates and made it possible so that the rest of us would not go to hell those who put their faith and trust in him so it's this picture that that he took punishment that that we deserve, that we rightly should receive, but he took it in our place. And then there's the sin offering. The sin offering is the picture of justification, the, the picture of, of being saved, of, of having a new heart, of actually being able to follow God rather than to follow the things of the world. How we need to die to ourselves, that, that that's what's required to join with Christ. For us to have eternal life. The sin offering was for when somebody was forgiven for they didn't realize they were a sinner. They didn't realize that they were in sin. And then they come to the knowledge of sin. And they have to make that offering. This is the picture of salvation. Where we're blind to our sin. We're blind to our rebellion to God. We're blind to how much we hate God. In most cases. And then God opens our eyes. He gives us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to understand. And that's the picture of the sin offering, how we're saved. How we go from being dead in our sins and trespasses to being one with Christ. And then the other kind of offering of blood that would be given was the trespass offering. The trespass offering was also burned on the burnt offering, just like the sin offering. Because it's all based on Christ's sacrifice. But the sins that are used in our example are not sins that an unbeliever does. It's sins that believers could be, that you don't hold somebody accountable to an oath that they took. So it's a picture of sanctification. It's about repentance. Not repentance unto salvation, but the continuing need for repentance. And all that is done. It's all effectuated because of what Christ did and because of his sacrifice. Because the burnt offering, because the sin offering, that's the only way that we can offer a trespass offering. That's the only way we can repent of particular sins, particularly is because God has given us a new heart that we partook of the sin offering. So as we go through these offerings and and talk about this trespass offering, we need to remember what the offerings were a picture of. And then the second thing as we go into this is to remember that leprosy is a picture of sin, which we've said many times going through these passages. And so healing of the leprosy is the picture of being healed from sin. In other words, it's a picture of salvation, not just justification, but it's the picture of all of salvation. So last week, as we saw the two birds, where the one bird would be have its its head wrung off, and then the blood would be put on the other bird, and then that bird would go free. That's a, a picture of how Christ was our substitute. 
how we are let go free because Christ was a sacrifice in our place. But now we have the picture of being born again, of being resurrected from the dead, the picture of what the sacrifice of Christ did because it did more than justify us. It also cleansed us and sanctified us. And it did more than that. It made us so that we could enter into the presence of the Father. For Christ is the way to the Father. That is what he came to be. He came so that man could be reconciled to God. And so that's the picture of this passage this morning. is how our sins can be completely forgiven, completely removed, so that we can enter into the presence of God. Let's start with verses 8 and 9. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. And after that he he shall come into the camp, and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day he shall shave all the hair off his head, and his beard, and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes, and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. So he who is to be cleansed, the one who is healed of the leprosy, after he's examined by the priest and determined to no longer be leprous, and yet he's still not clean. He's healed, but he's not clean. He's still not fit to be in still the camp until he's cleansed, and not just healed of the leprosy, but until he's cleansed, he's still separated from Israel. It's clearly the separation or the the passages separating the healing from the acceptance in the community, from being part of Israel. So he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes for the birds. The priest didn't make the sacrifice, but he commanded others. And in this case, the one who has to wash his clothes is the one who is healed of leprosy. Believing that you're healed of leprosy, believing that you've been healed of your sin, that your sins are forgiven is not enough. You actually need to wash your clothes. The clothes are a picture of your acts. Your acts have to change. You can't just continue to walk the same way and think you're a believer. That's not, that's not the nature of Christ's sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice was more efficacious than that. It actually changes you. But it also means that you now have a heart. You now have a heart of of flesh, a heart where the law has been written on your heart and on your mind. So you wash your clothes. You change the things that you do. And there's this other picture of shaving off all his hair. The shaving off of all the, the hair is not referenced many times in the Bible. There's a number of times where you shave off part of the hair, the hair on the head, such as such as if you take a Nazarite vow. If you marry a foreign wife, you're supposed to shave off all of her hair. There's not many times, I think there's only two, well, three, where it's kind of referenced secondarily. There's not many times when all of the hair on the body is to be shaved. One is in this passage. One is when the Levites were set aside as the tithe that God had collected in Numbers 8, 5 through 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them, and let them shave all their body, and let them wash their clothes, and so make themselves clean. 
Again, this was to shave all the hair off of their body. When they became a priest, all their hair had to be shaved off, and they had to be washed. And so when you think about that, entering into the priesthood, this is, this is justification. So they have to shave off all their head in order to be justified, in order to have this picture, this ceremonial. This isn't actually how they become priests. They become priests because God makes them priests. But this is ceremonially. This is the picture of becoming a priest. The only other example where all the hair is shaved off is God says that he's going to send it as judgment. That Israel will be shaved. Even the hair on their legs will be shaved. But I don't think that's talking about the same thing. That's talking about when judgment has come. But in this passage, along with the Numbers 8 passage, it's not about judgment. It's about blessing. I think the shaving of all the hair on the body is a picture of being born again. Christ had to take on flesh so that our spirit could be freed, the bird going into the earthen vessel, so that the other bird could go free. That's a picture of the sacrifice of the bird. But now the shaving of the hair of the one who's saved. It's like going back, being back to being a newborn. Yes, some... Newborns have hair, but the hair is very different, and they have far less hair, both on their heads and on the rest of their body. So join with the Spirit going free as the picture of being born again to new and different works. So and wash himself in water, he shaves himself, he washes his clothes, and he washes himself. Just because salvation is the work of God does not mean that it doesn't produce work in us, that it doesn't produce real things that we have to do. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to turn from our sin, even as it's God's work in us that caused it to happen, even though it's the power of God through the Holy Spirit that we can do it. It doesn't mean that God hasn't assigned us the work. Just as the leper testified to his being healed, by the work that he was required to do. This is how Christians are when we're born again, when we become true believers in God. We start to do the things that God would have us to do. We wash ourselves. We change our thoughts. We renew our minds so that we ourselves are clean. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's the picture of washing. That's the picture of when you're saved, this is what you do. You cleanse your hands. You purify your hearts. That's the picture of washing your clothes, the picture of washing yourself in water. And you do it that you may be clean. At this point, he's cleansed, but he hasn't been pronounced clean before the Lord. He's not, he's not ready to enter into the presence of the Lord. But after that, after that cleansing, he's clean so he can come into the camp. He's not bringing leprosy into the camp. But it's only after the shaving of all his hair, after the cleansing of his clothes and himself, it's only then that he shall come into the camp. It's only then that he shall be seen as being part of Israel again. It's only then that he can be saying that this physical picture of a spiritual reality, it's when we're physically cleansed, or excuse me, when we're spiritually cleansed of our spiritual leprosy, that's when we can be part of the church. That's when we can be part of the 
true invisible church, that's when we can come into the camp and be part of the people of God. And that's the picture the leper carried, that after he washed his clothes, after he washed himself, then he could come into the camp and he could stay there. He didn't have to be abiding outside the camp. But he doesn't stay in his tent. He stays outside his tent. So why stay outside your tent? I think this is a picture of being part of the true Israel. Once we're saved, we're not dwelling in our final dwelling place. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not on earth. We are here. We are in the camp. We are part of the church, part of the true church. We have a promise of a dwelling place. We know where we will dwell eternally. It's a picture that's declared in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we are also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. I think Paul's describing the state that's pictured here, the state where, where you're part of Israel, but you're not in your final place. You're not where you abide. Are Those of us who are saved, where we abide is in heaven. We're physically here. We're physically present. We're present with the people of God. We can see, see, be seen as part of the people of God. We are the people of God, but we're not in our final dwelling place. Our final dwelling place is, is for eternity. This is just for a brief period. In their case, that brief period was to be seven days. Seven obviously represents completeness, so it represents, I think, the complete period of sanctification. That period between justification and glorification. That point where we are with the church, but we're not in the presence of God. We're still separate from God. Not separate in the sense of having the Spirit, but we're not, we're not in the presence of God where he dwells. That doesn't happen until our body is resurrected. And then we dwell in the eternal place with the Father and with the Son in our transformed body. The first shaving represented being born again or being spiritually resurrected. When we have our citizenship, but we're waiting for the return of Christ when we'll receive the fullness of it. And so then on the seventh day, immediately at the end of that period, once again the process has gone through, this picture of being reborn, of being resurrected, of receiving a new body. He shall shave all the hair. So just like the first time, it's you shave all your hair. But the second description of it is more explicit about what it means. It's not shaving all the hair just off the head. You have to shave all your hair that, that is on your head, all the hair, that your beard, all the hair on your face, even your eyebrows. So I want you to think about that. If you have somebody and you shave off all their hair, you even shave off their eyebrows, they look like a different person. They're the same person, but they look, they look very different when your eyebrows are shaved. And when your head is shaved. And if you have a beard and your beard is removed. You look completely different than you did before. You are the same person, but you look different. And I think that's similar to the description that Paul gives in 
1 Corinthians of the, the second resurrection, of the bodily resurrection, in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 38. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. And so by the second shaving, this picture of glorification, this picture of, of being able to come into the presence of God, being able to abide with God, to actually be in the camp with God, the first thing you do is you look different. You shave everything so that you look like a different person. Paul used the example of a seed. A seed doesn't look like the plant that came from the seed. They're connected. They're joined. They're one. They're not separate. But the glorified body is different than the, than the physical body that was put into the grave. And I think that's the picture of having your hair shaved off and your beard shaved off and your eyebrows shaved off. All your hair, all the hair on your body is shaved off. It's this picture of getting a new body. Just like the first one is, is getting a new body when you're born. But we get a new body at the second resurrection, at the bodily resurrection when Christ returns. So he shall shave it off, all the hair on his body. He'll be made to look different. He'll be made to look like he has a new body. And that's the, the picture of his body being resurrected, his body being changed again, just like it was changed the first time. Physically or spiritually, we were changed the first time when we were saved. We received a new heart. We look different in how we walk. And the second time when our body is resurrected, we will have a different body. It will look different than the body we have right now. So he shall wash his clothes. Washing his clothes again is a picture of, of removing the sin from our works. And it justification that happens there's sins that we talk that we turn from that's why paul can say in galatians 6 that those who walk in the flesh it's evident that they're not in the spirit that it's evident that it's seeable that it's visible because when you're saved you wash your clothes but understand we still have sin and to enter into the presence of god we can have no sin corruption must put on incorruption in order to be in the presence of god Again, you have to be washed. Again, your clothes have to be clean. You wash your body in water. We ourselves will be changed. We will no longer have a sin nature at glorification. We will have a nature that both will have the knowledge of the holiness of God and we won't have any desire to rebel against it in any way. We won't have any desire to sin. We'll have the power to resist all temptation to sin when the corruption has been put out of our members, when our body is completely washed and we're clean. That first one is a picture of how we're made clean when we're saved. And I think the second cleansing is a picture of how we're made clean, truly clean, perfectly clean, clean enough to go into the presence of God, to approach His holy hill, to enter into the holy place, the true one, not the tabernacle, not the temple, but the true one, when we're made perfectly and completely clean, which is the promise that God has given to us that believe.
The promise that the day will come when we will be made perfectly clean so we can go into the presence of the Father. Verses 10 through 13. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean in those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering in the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering. It is in a holy place for as the sin offering is the priest, so the trespass offering, it must be holy. So on the eighth day, on the seventh day, after he washes everything, after he's been living outside his tent, he's clean, but he's still the need for a ceremony to the priests and for others to present him before the Lord to, to testify and to proclaim that he is truly clean. And so it's the next day that he goes to make sacrifices. So he shall take two male lambs. These are for the trespass offering and for the burnt offering. It doesn't say that explicitly, but if you go back to burnt offerings, burnt offerings, it says it explicitly about the trespass offering, and burnt offerings are always male. And so you have to take them without blemish. We're sanctified by Christ. We're we're saved by the sacrifice of Christ. The whole creation is made into a new creation. As Noel was reading in Romans 8, that the whole creation is groaning together to now. It's all going to be made a new creation because of the burnt offering of Christ. So he'll take two male lambs without blemish. It's a picture of Christ. It has to have no fault. It has to have no, no problems with it or it's not an acceptable sacrifice in the eyes of God. And one ewe lamb of the first year, this would be for the sin offering. Since a male lamb is appropriate, it's an appropriate sin offering. Since it represents the dying of ourselves for our sin so that we can join with Christ. And it also has to be without blemish. He needs to have a bride that's comparable to him. He needs to have a bride that's perfectly pure like he is perfectly pure. And so the ewe lamb is that picture. That picture of how we, we become right with God. And then three-tenths of an ephah. A tenth of an ephah was also known as an omer. It's about three quarts. An omer is supposed to be what a man can eat in a day. Three quarts, if it's grain, that's a lot of grain. But if it's actually a, a physical dry measure and it was the actual measure of bread, that is about the amount of bread that a man could eat in a day if that was all he was eating. But this is grain that they're supposed to offer. But an omer is that measure. And so we know that it's about three quarts of flour. An ephah is about seven gallons of grain. And this would be a tenth of that. And so it's saying three tenths. The word ephah isn't in there, but because this is what they had to sacrifice, they kind of know that, that the ephah is the obvious choice. So an ephah of fine flour, it had to be finely ground flour. Remember that the bread, the the grain offering, it's a picture of the word of God. So it's this picture that 
you've consumed the word, that you've ground the word. You're not like swallowing whole kernels. You're actually reading and understanding the word. This is the offering that we give. The word of God is the bread of life, and it's mixed with oil. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. So it means that the word is understood through the work of the Spirit. It means that these offerings and the efficacy of the offerings is applied to the person through the feeding of Christ, the the bread of life, and of the Holy Spirit, that oil that must be mingled with it. That's how we come to the knowledge of the sin offering. That's how we come to the knowledge of the burn offering. That's how we come to the knowledge of the trespass offering. So all of that, the fine flour mixed with oil is a grain offering. That's the grain offering. Christ was the sacrifice, so he would be our substitute, that he would justify us and sanctify us and glorify us, and he does that through the work of his word and through the work of his spirit. And they also brought one log of oil. Again, the log of oil is about a cup of oil. And this is a picture of the Holy Spirit, just like it was when it was mixed with the bread. But here it's the picture of receiving the Holy Spirit and being cleansed and anointed with the Holy Spirit. The leper came to make his offering. He had to bring all these things to the priest. And then the priest who makes him clean, this is a picture of Christ that... Because it is Christ and a picture of Christ that he's the one that brings us into the presence of God. He's the one that makes us clean. He's the one that brings us to the Father. There is no way to the Father except through the Son. So the priest who makes him clean shall present the man. That present is more literally translated stand. That the priest makes the man stand in the presence of God. The one who is to be made clean, he's brought before the Lord. He's able to stand before the Lord because of the priest that made him clean. But he doesn't come empty-handed. He, does, he comes with the things to sacrifice. And these thing, those things, the three animals, the three tenths of an ephah mixed with oil and the log of oil, he brings them and stands before the Lord. They're all brought before the Lord. This is the picture that, that after the resurrection... We will all go into the presence of God if you're saved. We'll go into the presence of God. This is why Christ came. He came so that his people, that the works that of Satan through the fall of Adam and through the separation between God and man, all that will be undone. And that's what this is a picture of. The sacrifices of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, it's to bring us so that we can stand before the presence of God. Because without these sacrifices, we can't stand ever before the presence of God. And at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, when we think of this as a picture of of glorification, that's what happens. You're resurrected, and then the Son brings you to the Father. And you can stand before the Father. This is an amazing thing that we will be made sinners like us will be made right and clean and pure so that we can stand in the presence of God. That's the door of the tabernacle of meeting. It's where we can meet with God. This is what Christ did. This is what his sacrifice did. There's no way to the Father except through the Son. So then the priest will take most of the offerings. It's the one that brings the offering that is the one who kills it. But here it appears that it's the priest, based on the language, it's the priest that's doing the sacrifice. 
So the priest shall take one male lamb, and it's a male lamb. In the law of trespass offering, it's a female animal that was to be killed because the trespass offering is typically a picture of how we are being sanctified, that we have work involved, that we have to be about the work of turning from our sin. And yes, that's enabled by the word, that's enabled by the spirit, but we're supposed to be putting ourselves to death. But at glorification, when the last of our sin is removed, it's not us that does it. We have no part of it. It's Christ's sacrifice that does it. We're not making any sacrifice. It's Christ's sacrifice that removes the last of our sin. It's Christ's sacrifice that allows corruption to put on incorruption. The law of trespass offering, it was a female animal that was to be killed because even as God convicted us and enables us to turn from our sin, there's an acknowledgement that we have a role. At glorification, there's no role that we have. It is what God does. He causes our bodies, our corruptible bodies, whether they're in the grave or whether we're still living, He causes them to meet with Him in the air and all our sin to be removed. It is 100% His work. So it's a male offering that's given this trespass offering to remove the last of our sins that will happen at glorification when he causes corruption to put on incorruption and offered as a trespass offering. The male gets offered as a trespass offering since it is the the sacrifice of Christ that brings us into the presence of the Father. Not just partway, not through, through just giving us a, a new heart, but by cleansing us of all sin. That's what's required to go into the presence of the Father. And he'll take the log of oil, the picture of the measure of the Holy Spirit that's given to those who believe, and he'll wave them to show why this person should be considered clean why he's fit to come to the Father, why he's fit to meet with God because of the work of Christ being the sacrifice for our sins and by the work of the Holy Spirit who is cleansing those who believe. He offers them as a, he waves them as a wave offering. They're not destroyed, they're not burned up, they're just presented and declared as the means by which the person is cleansed before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle where the presence of the Lord is. Think about it. This leper, seven days before, he couldn't even go inside the camp, and now he's standing at the door of the tabernacle. This is a picture of the work of God, that he takes people who have no ability to draw near to him, no ability to to do anything, and he takes them and he makes them so that they can stand in the presence of God. And all this is to demonstrate the means to enter into the true tabernacle, not the one made by human hands, but the heavenly tabernacle where God completely dwells. And then he'll kill the lamb. The priest is to kill the lamb, not the cleansed leper. The priest slays the lamb since he's the one doing the work, since he's the picture of Christ. He's the one that was the sacrifice. He's the one that laid down his life. so that we could be brought into the presence of God. So he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering, that same place where twice daily they would kill the sin offering and a burnt offering every morning and every evening between the tabernacle and the altar burnt offering. 
to remember what it prevents, to remember that it's that sacrifice that splits those who will go into the tabernacle of meeting and meet with God from those who go to the burnt offering, those who go to hell and become the burnt offering themselves. It's the separation. It's what causes that. So the, the trespass offering is, is killed there. So this is what makes it. It takes all of it. It takes the sin offering. It takes justification. It takes sanctification. And it takes glorification to be able to come into the presence of the Father. So it's a holy place. The offering is in a place that was consecrated by God. The leper that was far off, the leper that was outside the camp, can go into a holy place and be in the presence of God. It is truly an amazing thing. And this is just a physical picture. What's far more amazing is the spiritual truth that this represents. And then for as the sin offering is the priest, the sin offering, not... Not anyone could eat of the sin offering. It was the priests. There were rules about how the sin offering could be eaten in Leviticus 6, 26 through 29. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it was boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. That's how they were to deal with the sin offering. The sin offering was only used, and it was a benefit specifically for the male priests. And this is a picture of Christ. Christ didn't do the sacrifice because he didn't get anything out of it. He did the sacrifice because he got something out of it. He got what he desired out of it. He received a blessing from it. He didn't just go to the cross because the Father said to go to the cross, although he did it out of obedience. He also did it for the joy that was set before him. He also did it because he knew he would receive a blessing. And, and every time somebody's saved, there's a blessing that Christ receives. And this trespass offering, this offering that he makes, it's this picture of what's required for glorification. The priest receives that trespass offering just like he does the sin offering. He's supposed to eat it the same way. He's supposed to eat it in the holy place. It's, again, it's a picture of the blessing that Christ gets. Christ went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He went through the cross to pay for the bride price to receive his bride. As he does glorification, does this trespass, it's this picture of bringing the, the bride to the wedding supper of the Lamb without any spot or wrinkle. He receives the blessing of the trespass offering to eat in the holy place, to eat in the place where the, the wedding supper of the Lamb is. So just as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. It can only be eaten in a holy place. It cannot be taken out of the tabernacle courtyard. It's a twice holy offering. Verses 14 through 18. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot, and the priest shall take some of the log of oil, 
and poured into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is to be the priest, that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. So the priest, after killing the trespass offering, just like all the offerings, they had to gather the blood as they were killed. And so when the trespass offering is made, normally you take the blood and you sprinkle it at the side of the altar and the rest is poured out on the ground. But in this case, you're to take some of the blood and you're to use it to anoint the person as a picture of the cleansing of his sin. We saw something similar before in Exodus 29. It was commanded to put the blood of the sin offering that was made at the consecration of the priest on the ear and the thumb and the big toe of the priest. But there the anointing oil was only sprinkled upon them. Here oil from the log of the oil is put on top of the blood. There's a greater anointing that happens. Yes, there's a real breaking of the power of sin. Yes, there's a real dying to ourselves. But we receive the fullness of the blessing of the Holy Spirit at glorification when we are made perfectly holy, when we are made a helpmeet comparable to Christ. So the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering. He shall put it. He's the priest that applies the blood. It is by Christ, by his sacrifice and his application of the blood that puts sins, that removes sins, that will cause sins to be as far from us as the east is from the west. It's Christ who does the work. And he puts it on the right tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed. It's put on the right ear as a picture of what we listen to and related to that is what we think about and how we think. Christ's sacrifice was not to leave us the same. Christ's sacrifice was to, to make us cautious about what we take into ourselves and to make us cautious about how we think. He puts it on the thumb of his right hand. The right hand represents our strength, the work that we do. When he takes his blood and puts it on our right thumb, it's because our work changes. It becomes sanctified. And it becomes sanctified now. It is to be changed now because just in Exodus 29, when the priests were made priests, they received blood on their ear. It changes what we do now. We receive blood on our thumb. It changes what we do now. But this is greater. It changes again. And the big toe of his right foot. Where we go, the choices we make. We turn from sin. We walk away from sin. That's what Christ's sacrifice was to do. And where he began that in us, he began that good work in us, he began to sanctify us, he began that, he will bring it to completion. And this is the picture of completion. Because here's what's different. Before, when you're made a priest, you receive it on your ear, you receive it on your right thumb, you receive it on your big toe of your right foot. But Christ then comes when he anoints it with the blood of the trespass offering. The priest takes some of that log of oil. Here's what's different than when you're made a priest. He takes some of that log of oil. 
into his hand. He pours it into his hand. It's a picture of Jesus Christ personally, individually applying the Holy Spirit to the believer. He pours it into his own right hand, or his own left hand. So he can dip his finger of his right hand and he can sprinkle it and he can, through his work, he can anoint the cleansed leper. Then the priest shall dip his right finger with his right finger. That's a picture of the finger of God coming and changing us, making it so that all our sins will be removed. He dips it in the oil that's in his left hand. He's the one that sent the Spirit. He's the one that causes the Spirit to go on each of us individually. God the Father and God the Son conspired before the foundation of the earth who would be saved. In Christ, Christ applies the Holy Spirit to cause us to be saved and to cause us to be glorified. So he takes some of it, the oil that's in his left hand and he'll sprinkle some of it with his finger, just using his finger seven times before the Lord The Lord has the completeness of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are the one God. They all have the same Spirit in three persons. And so the seven times is showing the completeness of the connection of the oil to God. But the rest of the oil on his hand, the rest is then put on the person. Because after glorification, there's a unity that didn't exist before. Through the Spirit of God, through the Spirit of Christ. There's a joining of the Spirit with the Bride of Christ. So it, the Bride becomes one with Christ. And that's the picture of the oil that's sprinkled before the Lord and is put on the right ear and the right thumb and the right fig toe because we're joined with Christ. The, the first blood is Him paying the the bride price, it's him putting the blood and and causing us to be marked and causing us to be set aside and causing us to be priests of the Most High God. But this is when we're joined together, when we become one with him. It's the picture of the church and Christ becoming one. He puts some on the tip of the right ear of him who is being cleansed. The Spirit of God is applied it's not just that, that we die to ourselves, it's that we're made living through the Holy Spirit that will be perfect, will be without sin, our thoughts will be right, the things that we'll desire to hear will be right. We will be righteous. And on the thumb of his right hand, the Holy Spirit will bless and control all that we set our hand to. No longer will we have temptation to sin. No longer will we will we be be this this wrestle this wrestling between the new man and the old man the old man will be done away with and the holy spirit the spirit of god the spirit of christ will completely control us because of christ's sacrifice and on the big toe of his right foot everywhere we go we'll go in the spirit of god and it's all in the blood of the trespass offering we receive the holy spirit the holy spirit will completely control us because of christ's sacrifice That's how we'll be completely cleansed of sin so that we walk in the newness of life, so that we walk in holiness. So after glorification, we will be one with Christ. We will truly be a helpmate that's comparable to Christ. And the rest of the oil, what remains after the sprinkling and the anointing, whatever remains, it's in the priest's hand. Whatever remained is put on the top of the head of him who is to be cleansed. 
the putting on the head is a picture. It's a picture of blessing. It's a picture of joy. <clears throat> Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. <laughs> it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That's the picture of receiving the oil on the head is the perfect unity with Christ, the perfect unity with God, the perfect unity in the joy that comes with that, in the blessing that comes with that, in the life forevermore that comes with that. That's the picture of the, the oil being put on the head of the one who is to be cleansed. And so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. This is when truly you've been made one with the Lord happens. There's a real sense that we're joined with the Lord at salvation. But that's just a surety. That's just a promise. That's just a down payment for the greater promise of receiving a greater measure of the Holy Spirit, of a greater measure, of a complete measure of being turned from our sins, a greater measure of unity with Christ, a greater joy than we can ever have on this earth. before glorification when we receive it the first time yes our sin the power of sin in our life is broken but our sin nature still remains our joy is made full when our sin nature is taken away when we're completely cleansed when we no longer have any leprosy of sin when we can finally be atoned we can finally be at one with Christ verses 19 and 20 then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. So then the priest offers the sin offering. Notice the order here. Because before... It was always the burn offering that was offered. And then you burn the sin offering and you burn the trespass offering on the burn offering. It was always a picture that the basis for the sin offering was the burn offering. The only way we could be justified is because of Christ's sacrifice. Of Christ receiving the punishment that we deserve. That's the only way that we could be made right. The only way that we could, could receive a new heart. And then the trespass offering was burnt on the burnt offering too because even as we do the work of cleansing, the only way we can actually have our sins removed, the only way we can be purified of our sin is because of the sacrifice of Christ. But here the order is opposite. It starts with the trespass offering and then it's the sin offering and then it's the burnt offering. And I think the reason here it's done more as a memorial because in the end, that, that trespass offering, when you burn it on the altar, it's because the burnt offering that was, that was started by God. When the priests were consecrated and he came down and he lit the fire of the burnt offering that they were supposed to keep burning forevermore, these burnt offerings are just a memorial of that burnt offering. They're a memorial of the offering that Christ made. 
I think we see that in next week's passage where if you don't have the money, you still have to bring a lamb for the, for the trespass offering. But you don't for the sin offering and you don't for the burn offering, not because those offerings are less significant. But I think it's because here it's a memorial rather than the application of the offering itself to the person. So even though it's being burned on that original burnt offering that Aaron offered, you still do a sin offering and you still do a burnt offering to remember this is how, this is how you can enter into the presence of God. This is how atonement was made for you. This is how the leper is cleansed. It's not just from the trespass offering. That's just the final cleansing from sin. Make atonement for the one who is to be cleansed, to be made clean from his uncleanness. It's only through Christ and his sacrifice and not just the trespass offering. It has to be first through the sin offering. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. Because the only way that the sin offering, the only way anybody can be justified is because Christ came and died. In the fullness of time, he died, and he became the high priest. Christ's sacrifice, that burnt offering, is a picture of him sacrificing himself for the whole world, because the world will be judged with fire, but the new heaven and the new earth will be delivered because of Christ's sacrifice. He'll destroy the work of Satan. He'll destroy sin. And anything that will be saved will be saved because he was the burnt offering. So the burnt offering is offered again so that we remember that the only way that we can have a trespass offering, the only way that we can have a sin offering is because Christ was the burnt offering. The only means that we can be saved is because Jesus Christ came to die for the whole world. So then the priest shall offer the burnt offering. He'll cut it into pieces and burn all of it on the offering, altar and the grain offering on the altar. There's a debate about this when you look because typically the grain offering is not burned. The grain offering, you only burn a handful of it and you burn it with each of the offerings. And so some people are saying that was done and this is it just wasn't mentioned. And then other people say, well... You have to offer a, a tenth of an ephah whichever, with every offering. So this is probably just that the one that is burned up is the one that was offered with the burnt offering. But my view is, is that God was explicit enough. This grain offering, this three-tenths, I think all of it is burned up. Because, yes, it's through the word that the burnt offering was made. It's through the word that that the sin offering is made. It's through the word that the trespass offering is made. But I think the picture here is the word of God had its effect. It had its effect. Its effect was to bring people into the presence of God. We don't need the word the same way, right? It, it says in 2 Corinthians 3 how the law is passing away. There is no law in heaven. We no longer need the revelation of the word of God because we're in the presence of God. And so this picture of the word that was used for the burnt offering, the word that was used because the word is how the priests, why they sacrifice Christ. 
The word is how is the sin offering because the word of God is how we come to know who God is. It's by hearing and hearing of the word of God. That's how we receive the gift of faith. And it's how we're sanctified. It's how we turn from our sin. It's by reading the word of God and it reveals the thoughts and intents of our heart. It's by looking in the face of Moses. It's by looking in the word of God that we're transformed and that we're changed. So it's the word all along. But once we become in the presence of God, when we're in the physical presence with our glorified body in the presence of Jesus Christ, we don't need the word anymore. We have the word. We don't need the Bible. Because its work is done. Its work is to bring us to the Father. Its work is to create the bride and to have unity with Christ. And so it's accomplished. Its work of the, of the Word of God is fully accomplished when corruption puts on incorruption. And so the priest shall make atonement for him through all these offerings, through the picture of sanctification, through the picture of of individual justification for the picture of Christ dying for the whole world, all of it comes down to being required to make atonement for the individual, to make atonement so that one leper is cleansed and that he shall be clean. Finally, because of all these sacrifices, he's physically to be considered clean. Just as these sacrifices required for each of these things, for us to spiritually be clean, for us to spiritually be fit and holy so we can enter into the presence of God, so we can be one with Christ. That's what was required. And that's the picture of the leper. Let me give you some applications. First application, many times in the New Testament, there's exhortations to put away sin, to cleanse yourself. This is what's required. If the leper did not cleanse himself, if the leper did not wash his clothes, then he wasn't ever considered clean. He may have thought he was healed of leprosy. Don't think if you're, that you're healed of leprosy the leprosy of sin and that you can continue to walk in sin. That is not how it works. To actually be clean, to actually be able to to enter into the presence of God, you have to cleanse yourself. You have to turn from sin. You have to repent. And yes, this is because of the sacrifice of Christ, but it is work that you have to do. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You do not come into the presence of God if you don't care about sin. If you don't care about the sin in your members, you will not be brought into the presence of God. Washing your clothes, washing yourself is not a means to heal. But everyone who is healed, he will do this. He will do this. If you won't wash your clothes, if you won't wash your body, don't think that you're going to enter into the presence of God. That's not how it works. Those who are saved, they repent of their sins. Not perfectly, not completely, but they repent of their sins and they work to continue to repent of their sins. Another application, the leper shaved his body and washed his garments as a physical picture of being born again. We need to recognize 
that the same testimony that the leper would make by shaving to denote physical healing, we need to make by being baptized to represent spiritual healing. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. When you think of that leper and him having to shave off all his hair so that everybody went, wow, he looks different. That's what people should respond to our baptism. Is, wow, he looks different. Being born again is not some minor thing. Being born again is to be transformed. And I understand a child in their parents' house when they're saved, it doesn't look the same as somebody out in the world. But we should expect it to look that there's a real difference. Because the promise is there's a real difference. The person who shaved off their head, shaved off their beard, shaved off their eyebrows, shaved off their arm hairs, they shaved off all the hair on their body, they would look different. It would be noticeable. And that's not just, that's not just glorification. That has to be done at sanctification or at justification. That has to be done when you're saved. You have to look different than the world around you. Not for the sake of looking different, but because you really are different. You've really been born again. Another application is we have a duty to be putting to death the sin that remains in our members. And to recognize we'll never put all of it to death. That will always require the work of Christ at the end. A glorification for his sacrifice through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's only God that can take all our corruption away. He promises that he will take all of our corruption away because it's only if we have no corruption at all can we possibly enter into the into the presence of the Father, and He is the way to the Father. So even as we have a duty to put to death the sin that remains in our members, let us never doubt that it's Christ that has to do it. It's Christ that has to remove the rest of it because we can never succeed on our own. It's Christ that will cause corruption to put on incorruption. Another application, God does what pleases Himself. We need to remember that when we think about Christ going to the cross. When we think about him purchasing his bride. Yes, he did it out of obedience to the Father, but he did it because, as it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ died for the joy of receiving his bride. He does what pleases him. So we should be putting away our sin now, not waiting, because that's how we look to Jesus. We grow in faith by turning from our sin. We grow in faith by, by 
doing what God says to do, even when we think it makes no sense. That's how we grow in faith. We accept the shame. Because God saved us to please himself, and what's pleasing to him is a holy people, a people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And we should be, we should be desiring to please our husband. Another application is we still need Christ to apply the trespass offering to us. The idea of Christian perfection or sinless perfectionism, it all comes from the idea that we can put away all our sins. We cannot. We cannot. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We need that final trespass offering. We need Christ to, to cleanse us of everything. Because with any little sin, if we walked into the presence of God, we would die. He has to remove all our sins so we can go into his presence and live. And that's what Christ did. But it's only Christ that can do that. Until then, we will always have sin. Is Christ the one that will make is the one that will make us perfect? But we have the promise. We have the promise that we will be made perfect. We will be made a helpmate that's comparable to Christ. And the last application. Think of it. There will be a completeness of obedience to God through the Spirit of God after glorification. And that should be a spur for us to walk in greater holiness now. That should be a spur to cause us to look forward to that day. To look forward to that day when we will have eternal life and we will eternally be in the presence of God. We should be looking forward to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Because that's what this is a picture of. That's what this is a picture of is how we can be made so that we can go into the, the tabernacle so we can dwell with God forever. Are you making yourself ready? Let me close this in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these pictures that you give us, even as we go through Leviticus and we, we see these things that we know that they desired to look into, but they had the shadow without the substance, so how could they understand them? But, Lord, you have given us the substance. Let our response to seeing the shadow cast by the substance Let our response to be to worship you. Let our response to be amazed at your plan, amazed at the detail by which you gave what they were supposed to do so that we would have a testimony, that we could look back and see what you were picturing, that we could look back and see what you were doing. For you always had this plan. You always had this plan to save a people who would be your bride and that you would make us comparable to you so we could dwell with you We could have unity with you for eternity. The separation in Adam, or through Adam and through his sin in the Garden of Eden, it will be done away with. Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. We look forward to that day. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus.